0: Amen. We'll take your copy of Scripture and turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. And uh, this morning we will be looking at verses 9 through 11. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, you'll find our passage on page 944, page 944. So we have been considering the theme of living the gospel, and uh, we've been working through Romans chapter 6 through 8. Uh, We are currently in Romans chapter 8. And we slowed down a little bit uh, because uh, there's so much here packed in these verses in Romans 8. And uh, last week we looked at verses 5 through 8. And then this week uh, our focus and our attention will be on verses 9 through 11. So I'll begin reading for us in verse 1 and I'll read through to verse 11. And then as I mentioned, uh, we will focus on verses 9 through 11. So this is God's word. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the great hope that You give us through Your Word. And Lord, for this time now that we have... To look to your word. And Father, we thank you that as we do so, we do not do so in our own strength or in our own wisdom. But Lord, we ask and pray for the power and the help, the insight of your Holy Spirit. So lead us and guide us into all truth, Lord, as we now turn to your word. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, last week I mentioned that some folks believe that pretty much everyone, all of humanity is on their way to knowing and experiencing God. We're just all taking different paths. So the idea is that the Christian, the Muslim, the Hindu, uh, the person who worships their ancestors, all of us are on different paths but we're gonna end up in the same place, the same destination. Namely, we end up knowing God in His presence. I also briefly demonstrated how this view of the world is nonsensical because all of the various religions of the world contradict one another at the most basic levels of who God is, who we are, and what it means to know Him. And then we saw in Romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 11 that Paul rejects this idea. He rejects this idea that there are 10 or 50 or 60 different ways or paths to God and instead Paul declares that all of humanity falls into one of two categories either we are in the flesh or we are in the spirit so this leads us to another popular approach to spiritual things when it comes to spiritual things in our own day an increasing number of people would be inclined to say they would describe themselves this way I'm not religious I'm just spiritual have you ever heard someone say that before I'm not religious I'm just spiritual or perhaps does that describe you is that where you would say you are right now would you say I'm not really a religious person but I am a spiritual person or maybe you would state it this way I don't identify as a Christian But I would describe myself as a spiritual person. Well, The Atlantic ran a story on this topic in January of 2018. And they reported that, quote, "...a growing contingent of Americans, particularly young Americans, identify as spiritual but not religious." Now, at that time, there were 64 million, or one in five Americans, according to this study, that identify as spiritual but not religious. The article went on to explain that those who fall into this category, quote, reject organized religion but maintain a belief in something larger than themselves. That something can range from Jesus to art, music, and poetry, end of quote. Now, is this what Paul has in mind in Romans chapter 8 when he speaks about being in the Spirit? Is this what Paul means when he says that we are in the Spirit? Is it this modern idea of not being religious, but being spiritual? Well, in the modern framework of, you know, not being religious, but being spiritual, that's not at all what Paul is speaking of here in Romans chapter 8. In fact, the scriptures command us in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Having said that, I will say this that those who claim to be not religious but to be spiritual, they are right about one thing. We are spiritual beings. We have been created as spiritual beings. And as a result, we long, we naturally long to connect with something or someone outside of ourselves that is in fact spiritual. However, that does not mean that we are able to create that something or that someone whoever that might be, we can't create them ourselves and then we cannot demand that they bend reality to our desires and our perception of the world. You see my friends, that's in large part what is so misguided about this idea, I'm not religious but I'm spiritual. It has no defi- definition of what it means to be spiritual. It's more determined by one's whims or desires of subjectivity. Paul says that is not at all what it means to truly be spiritual. Rather, Paul teaches us in our text this morning that to be spiritual is to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and therefore to be indwelt by His Spirit, His Spirit who gives us spiritual life now and eternal life in the age to come. So that's what I want us to see in our text this morning. Paul teaches us in our text this morning that to be spiritual is to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to be indwelt with His Spirit, His Spirit who gives us life now and life in the age to come. So we'll look at our passage in two parts. First of all, in verse 9, we will consider the indwelling of the Spirit, and then secondly, in verses 10 and 11, we'll consider the resurrection life of the Spirit. Look there in verse 9, and we read these words. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, one of the things I want you to notice here in verse 9 is that Paul makes a shift from the third person to the second person. So, in verse 8, you see there he's speaking more generally. In verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then in verse 9, he goes to the second person. He's more personal. He speaks directly to those members of the church in Rome. And he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that I've been describing really in the previous verses, not just verse 8, but starting even all the way back to verse 6, verses 6 through 8, I've been describing for you those who are in the flesh. And those who are in the flesh are hostile to God. Those who are in the flesh do not obey God's commandments. Indeed, they cannot. But you, however, you, members of the church in Rome, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit dwells in you. Now this, what Paul is stating here, this is the promise of Jesus. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says to his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, here it is, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now this is the promise of Jesus in John chapter 14. And what Paul is acknowledging here in Romans chapter 8 is that the promise of Jesus has been fulfilled. And it has been fulfilled for all Christians. So that those who repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are indwelt with the Spirit of God. With, as Jesus says in John chapter 14, the helper, the spirit of truth. And notice that this is a gift for all Christians, because Paul then goes on in our text to say, in verse 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That is, does not belong to Christ. Now, some wrongly teach a separation between the act of becoming a Christian, and the act of receiving God's Spirit. The idea here is that we must trust in Jesus in order to become a Christian, but then after having become a Christian, we need to pray and seek and hope that one day, at a later date, we might receive the Holy Spirit. And the really serious Christians are those who take this second step to receive the Holy Spirit. But that's not right, because as Paul teaches us here, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, does not belong to Christ. Or, we could say this conversely, if that is true, it is also true, anyone who belongs to Christ does have the Spirit of Christ. And you notice here when he says, and we'll get back to this here in a few moments, but he says you have the Spirit of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit. Do you see here in the text how he uses the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God interchangeably? You see it there in the text, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, see, Does not belong to him. So Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ are used interchangeably. So if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you do not belong to Christ, you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not possess the Holy Spirit. Now listen, my friends, what Paul is saying here in this text, if you are a Christian, this is true of you. Paul is saying to you, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. What is true of the world, Paul is saying, is not true of you. Those who are in the flesh are hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot. But you, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. You, however, possess the Spirit of Christ because Christ is in you. And therefore, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, this is so very important for us to understand because it is one of the distinguishing marks between those who are Christians and those who are not. Paul has already taught us in Romans 6, we saw this, in Romans 7, we see it in Romans 8, that those who are in the flesh, their lives are characterized by sin. But this is not true of the Christian. Yes, Paul does acknowledge that Christians still sin. Christians have not yet been perfected. And as Christians, we all know this by experience. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, on several occasions, he speaks of his own personal experience, and he says that sin dwells within me. Sin that dwells within my members is another way he puts it in Romans chapter 7. But here's the difference. The Christian's experience is not limited to sin that dwells within me. That is not the totality of our experience as Christians. Rather, the Christian also possesses the Spirit of God who dwells within us. And it's by the Spirit that we are enabled to fight and ultimately prevail over the sin that dwells in us. So what Paul is saying here is that we are not in the flesh, but we are in the Spirit. And therefore, we not only experience indwelling sin... Rather, we also experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the life-transforming, course-changing, identify, identity-defining experience of our lives is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we're not finally defined now, as we are in Christ, by indwelling sin. But we are finally and ultimately defined by the indwelling of the holy spirit. Now, what is the nature here in Romans chapter 8 of this indwelling? Now this is this is fascinating and I will confess that we are stepping into areas here that are mysterious and beyond our comprehension in many ways, but I will try to do my best to explain this. Notice in just these three verses, notice here who Paul is speaking about. In verse 9, he speaks of the Spirit of God. And then he speaks of the Spirit of Christ. In verse 10, he speaks of the Spirit. In verse 11, he speaks of the Spirit of Him, that is the Spirit of God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. And then again in verse 11, he says His Spirit, that is the Spirit of the Father, who dwells in you. So so who is it that Paul is speaking of here? He is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit, from the Scriptures, we know that the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father, and He is distinct from the Son. So the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. And at the same time, we see in our text that the spirit of the father and the spirit of the son are used interchangeably to speak of the holy spirit so so you're tracking that the spirit is not the father the spirit is not the son but the spirit of the father and the spirit of christ are used interchangeably to speak of the holy spirit so so this is how one author one theologian puts it how do how do we think about these things this is how one author a theologian puts it. Quote, the Holy Spirit renders to us the presence of the triune God. So here's, here's how I would say it. The Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is present, there we find the presence of the Father and the presence of the Son. So that when the Holy Spirit is in us, if He is present in us, By the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Father and the Son is mediated to us. The Spirit is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son, but by the Spirit, the presence of the Father and the Son is mediated to us. Now, notice the different phrases that Paul uses here in these verses to describe this experience of indwelling. Look at verse 9. The Spirit of God dwells in you. In verse 9, again, he speaks of this experience as having the Spirit of Christ. Again, he speaks of it as belonging to Christ. In verse 10, he says Christ is in you. In verse 11, he speaks of it as the Spirit of Him, that is God the Father, who dwells in you. And again, His, that is the Spirit of the Father, dwells in you. So the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of of God dwells in us. And all of these phrases correlate to one another to describe the same experience. So it is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, to indwell believers. And by his indwelling, the Holy Spirit mediates to us the presence of the Father and the Son. In this sense, we can say, God, this is amazing. God dwells in us. And this is not the only place where this is taught in Scripture. Of course, Paul talks about in Corinthians that we are the temple of God, right? Why? Because now God's Spirit dwells within us. And this does not mean that we are divine. It doesn't mean that we are gods. But the Spirit of God the Father, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God Himself dwells in us who belong to God through faith in Jesus now listen my friends according to the Bible this is true spirituality and everything else is a cheap imitation so yes creation is wonderful and glorious and beautiful and there are unique rocks and even beautiful crystals that God has created there is art, there is poetry, there, are, there is music, and all of these are wonderful gifts from God that can and should be enjoyed to the glory of God. But God is calling us to something far more profound and satisfying. God is calling us, we see here, into a relationship not primarily with the things that He has created, but with Himself the Creator through faith in His Son Jesus. And it's as we have that relationship with God, our Creator, through faith in Jesus Christ, that His Spirit dwells within us. He resides in us. He communes with us. He sanctifies us. He sustains us. He comforts us and encourages us. He helps us. And ultimately, as we'll see here in a few moments, He will raise us up to enjoy everlasting life in the presence of God forever. This, according to the Scriptures is true biblical spirituality. So, that's the indwelling, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. The indwelling of the Spirit. Secondly, I want us to see here in our text, in verses 10 and 11, the resurrection life of the Spirit. The resurrection life of the Spirit. Notice there in verse 10... But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, the first thing I want us to note here in verses 10 and 11 is... That this work of resurrection, again what we see here, is it's a Trinitarian work. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in this work. Okay, So I've said before, previously in other sermons, that in one sense the doctrine of the Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. And in one sense it's everywhere in the Bible. Now, what I mean by that, it's nowhere in the Bible, is that you can't turn to a specific verse in the Scriptures and see a concise definition of, this, of the Trinity or turn to a particular passage and get a full explanation and exposition on the Trinity. Rather, what we find is that the triune nature of the God is taught and it's demonstrated and it's assumed throughout all of Scripture. And that's what we see here in just these three verses here in Romans chapter 8. We've already seen that as Paul describes the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, that it's a Trinitarian work. All the persons of the Trinity are involved. The Spirit indwells us and mediates to us the presence of the Father and the Son. And now we see that as Paul turns to speak of the resurrection life and power of God, this is also a Trinitarian work. Now we see this hints of this all through verses 10 and 11, but it's especially clear at the end of verse 11. Notice at the end of verse 11 we read these words, He, that is God the Father, who raised Christ Jesus, that is God the Son, from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, who dwells in you. So Father, Son, and Spirit. John Stott states it this way, we note this further allusion through the, to the three persons of the Trinity. The resurrecting Father, the resurrected Son, and the Spirit of resurrection. End of quote. So right here in these just couple of verses, we see the, re, the Trinitarian work of resurrection life and power. Now, also notice in these verses that both 10 and 11 are if-then statements. okay? Did you, do you see that in the text? Notice in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, and this is the idea we can actually insert here, then, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And now look at verse 11. If, there's another if-then statement, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we can insert here, then... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And what Paul is saying here is that on both occasions, whether it is Christ is in you, or the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which is descriptions of the same experience, on both occasions you can be assured of this. You can be certain that you will experience resurrection life. If Christ is in you, if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in you, you can be assured that you will experience resurrection life. In verse 10 he says it's resurrection life now in the present. And in verse 11, it's resurrection life in the future. So look at verse 10. This resurrection life is a present reality. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now notice he says there that the body is dead because of sin. Now what does Paul mean by that? Well, if you've been here for our study, you might remember that back in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul said that the wages of sin is death. So sin, we know, results in death. In particular, it results in physical death. Because we are sinners, our bodies are corrupted with death and will one day finally give way to death. We could say it this way, our bodies are dead, our bodies are dying, and one day they will finally die. So I hate to be particularly morbid this morning, but in this sense... And this is just reality. We have to all face it. We are all dying. Every breath we take is one step closer to our inevitable death. This is the reality of living in a body that has been corrupted by sin. But notice what Paul goes on to say. Although the body is dead... Because of sin, notice, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, is life. So we reside in these bodies that are giving way to death, but in us resides the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of life. Now, what Paul is saying here in this verse is very similar to something that he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, which is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, what's our outer self? That's our body, right? Though our outer self is wasting away. And what does it mean that our body is wasting away? It means it's dying. That's what it means that it's wasting away. He says, so we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And how is the inner self being renewed day by day? By the Holy Spirit of life that dwells within us. So this is, if you are in Christ, if Christ is in you, this is your present reality right now. This is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life at this time. We could view it this way, like on a graph, it's like there's an inverse relationship between the status of our body and the status of our souls so like your body is on that graph it's tracing down it is wasting away towards death but at the same time our souls indwelt by the Holy Spirit as we abide in Christ as we yield to his spirit it is tracking up as we grow in holiness in love in faith and in devotion so that we could say in one sense the eldest Saints among us should be the weakest and frailest in body but should be the most mature and lively in faith and love and wisdom and devotion is that what you want for your life Because here's the reality, your body is wasting away, and you can't do anything about it. I mean, yes, you should take good care of your body, be a good steward of your body. It's a tremendous gift from the Lord. Try to eat healthy and exercise and take care of yourself, but at the end of the day, we all know our bodies will waste away. Our bodies will give way to death. And here's what characterizes those who are in the flesh. And characterizes so many people. If you go back to that graph, you think about the body wasting away. At the same time, the soul is wasting away. The older they get, the more cynical, the more negative, the more bitter, the more resentful, the more greedy, the more prideful, the more lustful. That's the path of being... In the flesh. Or there's an alternative. Paul says if Christ is in you, the body is wasting away, but the spirit is life, and you're being renewed day by day, so that even as the body is wasting away in wisdom and knowledge and love and faith and devotion, you're growing from one degree of glory to another. That's the hope of resurrection life in us. This resurrection life comes to us because, we see there in the text, of righteousness. Look there in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. Why? Here it is, because of righteousness. Now, what does Paul mean by that? And and how can we experience this? Although we know our bodies are wasting away, how can we experience this life of the Spirit in us, renewing us? and making us something different and transformed and glorious. Well, here it is. It's because of righteousness. Now, this idea of righteousness is a grand theme in Paul's letter to the Romans. And here's the idea. The Bible teaches us that God is righteous, but we are not. We are unrighteous. And the great dilemma that Paul is dealing with in his letter to the Romans is, how can God, who is righteous dwell with and have relationship with sinners who are unrighteous. And this is the glorious good news that Paul declares in this letter, that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life of righteousness. And He died on the cross to suffer the penalty for our unrighteousness. So that if we turn from our sins and trust in the Lord Jesus, not only is our unrighteousness accounted for, it's paid for on the cross... But also, through faith in Jesus, God grants to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when God sees us, He sees no unrighteousness because it's been accounted for on the cross, but rather He sees us as righteous and just as His own Son, Jesus, and receives us to Himself. And as we trust in Christ, His Spirit indwells us, and we become more and more like Jesus, growing more and more in righteousness, like the one who is the righteous one. Now, if you've trusted in Christ, and if Christ is in you, that, Paul says, is your present reality. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, in verse 11, he says that this resurrection life is not only... A present reality, but it's also a future hope. So look there in verse 11 and we read these words If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, this idea of resurrection hope in the future, as we keep moving through Romans chapter 8, we're kind of being introduced to it here. But Paul really settles into it in verses 18 through 25. And we see this as a, a dominant theme in that section. Especially we see it in chapter 8, verse 23. Look there in verse 23. Paul says, "...and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." So in chapter 8, verse 11 that we're looking at this morning, and in chapter 8, verse 23, which we'll look at in a few weeks, those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, the ultimate destination of our bodies is not death, but resurrection. So remember, the body, our physical bodies are not inherently evil. When God created Adam and Eve, we know that he created them and he declared that they were good. He created them with physical bodies and he declared that it was good. So God has purpose now. Although humanity has fallen into sin, our bodies are corrupted by sin, will finally give way and corrupt even unto death. God has determined now to redeem and restore that which has been distorted by sin. To redeem it to its original state, even a more glorious state. Now, this is quite a claim. So, how do we know that God will do this? I mean, our this is what Paul is saying. Our bodies which will die and are laying in the grave and are being corrupted and decaying will one day be restored and redeemed, be raised. And we will live with new bodies in a new world, a physical world that has been restored and redeemed. And we will live lives in these bodies to the glory of God. Now how do we know that God will do that? Well, Paul says one way we know, and this is the fundamental thing that he points to here in this verse, and this is the primary way we know that God will do this, is because he's already done it in Jesus In other words, there's an historical account, a physical example of God resurrecting and redeeming a mortal, corruptible, dead body. And that historical account, that physical example, is Jesus himself. Paul says there in the text, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And if he raised Jesus from the dead and granted to him a new, resurrected, physical body, he will do the same for you. So that we will have resurrected, uncorruptible bodies. Now, Paul points here, if we're asking this question again, how do we know God is going to do this? Paul points here to the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives even another example for how we can know that God will do this work. Why we know that he will resurrect our bodies. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 39, 35 to 49, in that section, he says, the other reason, and there are others that Paul gives in other places as well, but just focusing on this one, the other reason that we can know that God will do this work is because we consistently witness a similar phenomenon in creation. And Paul gives the example of a seed. Now think about this. A seed. What is a seed? You think about a seed. It's lifeless. It's dead. If you were to cut it open and look inside it, there would be no evidences or signs of life. And yet we witness this so often we take it for granted right what an amazing fascinating thing this is that you take a seed a hard lifeless dead seed and you place it in the ground has no signs of life it gets some water it gets some sun and then the seed comes to life and here's the thing with all of our scientific knowledge with all of our technology no one can explain why this happens no one can tell you explain exactly why does the seed come to life what happens you can put it in chap GPT it can describe to you what happens but it can't tell you why and we witness that mysterious phenomenon all around us over and over and over and over again winter brings death but every spring there comes life as death gives way to life the earth every spring comes to life again and therefore as it has been said before God has written resurrection into the DNA of creation. We see it in creation all around us all the time. And Paul says, so it will be with our bodies. Our bodies will be sown in death. But by the mysterious life-giving power of the Spirit, they will be raised to life. You know, so much of modern pseudo kind of new age spirituality envisions our ultimate destination as humanity. As one of being divorced from our bodies. That we will finally forever be rid of this flesh and bone and we'll be freed from this cage of flesh. And so all will be is spirit, will be soul. But in contrast... What we see in the Scriptures is that biblical spirituality does not ignore or negate the body. Instead, the biblical vision of final redemption is not the Spirit divorced from the body, but rather it is the Holy Spirit giving life to the body, restoring the body, redeeming and renewing the body. And as a result, our bodies will radiate with the glory of the resurrected body of Christ. And our redemption will be full and complete, both soul and body. This, according to the Scriptures, is true spirituality. So therefore, my friends, let me encourage you to test the spirits. Test these spirits even modern-day notions of what spirituality really is. Are you in Christ? Are you indwelt with the Holy Spirit? This, according to the Scriptures, is true spirituality. If not, my friends, turn from your sins. Trust in the Lord Jesus and receive the gift of His righteousness and experience the reality of what it means to be in the Spirit and to know life in Him. Both spiritual life now and the hope of resurrection, spiritual life, new bodies, new resurrected bodies in the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word, and we thank You for the gift and the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who indwells us who gives us spiritual life now so that we are being changed and transformed, and who will ultimately raise and redeem our bodies and finalize and complete our redemption. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the promise of Jesus that he would send a helper, the Spirit of truth. And now we, by faith in Jesus Christ and by your grace, we know that gift. We know the indwelling presence of your Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in the Spirit and to to know what it means to live in the power of the Spirit. Lord, we pray that as we do so, we would be changed more and more into the image of your Son. Fill us with this great hope, we pray. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen.